Alright folks, welcome back to another episode of Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Kerr, aka The Ginger, and we are in the saddle tonight. And this is no regular episode, folks. This could be the best guest lineup that we've had on Triple G or Ginger and Dutch or any podcast that we've done tonight. And what an episode and what a time for it. Because it is our Super Bowl 56 preview show. And we've got a jam-packed lineup starting with our first guest off the night, Aaron Schatz from FootballOutsiders.com. He is an advanced metric stats guru uh, for FootballOutsiders.com. So we are excited to talk to him. Then we're going to kick it over to a senior writer for NFL for FoxSports.com, Mr. Eric Williams. He's a uh, pretty much a Los Angeles football guru, covered the Chargers a couple of years ago, covered the Rams last year, and uh, in general covers the NFL this year, but uh, lives out in San Diego, so is still in touch with what's happening there in Inglewood and Los Angeles. And then we also have Joe Goodbury, we were supposed to have uh, Mike Petra- uh, Petraglia on from Jungle Roar Pod and uh, author or sorry writer for the Professional uh, Football Writers Association of America on. Uh, but we've had some audio issues tonight as we record here on Wednesday, February 9th. So uh, helping us out in a pinch will be diehard Bengals fan. Uh, worked with the Athletic and Cincinnati Jungle Jungle. Uh, and Bengals wire for for years, and that's Mr. Joe Goodbury who's going to have on. But um, let's get right into it. Super Bowl Fifty Six. We're going to run through some cool stats, some uh, some cool lines. What's happening in terms of um, the game and how it's going to be played out, and um, some of the prop bets and cool stats and stuff around the game as well. Then we'll get it over to the breakdown with those three fine gentlemen. We'll come back. I'll give you my quick thoughts, send you off to break, and do a quick little uh, run around the world of golf, and we will get you out of here and uh, on your way. So, folks, make sure you're tuning in. This podcast is not the only thing that's happening on Triple G this week here for Super Bowl week. We're going live, Instagram Live, 9 p.m. Saturday, February 12th. We're going to have the old boy on there, I believe. Trying to uh, maybe hook up with Dutch. We're also going to have uh, Tyler Wolf, who was on there a couple on our podcast a couple weeks ago for a uh, diehard fan of the Cincinnati Bengals as well. Get his thoughts. Get any last-minute breakdown 
on the game. Anything, uh, if we hear anything official on CJ Uzama or Tyler Higby, injury reports, uh, COVID news, anything like that, that pops up in the last 24 to 48 hours prior to Super Bowl 56. But let's get into it right now. Super Bowl 56. You heard the intro music. That's the intro that's played um, after the Super Bowl or before the Super Bowl is about to hand hand it out. And for the first time ever, we've got a longer season, which means in first time in history that this Super Bowl will be handed out on the second Sunday in February. Typically, it's the first Sunday in every February, but uh, because of our longer season, it is pushed back one week. And for the first time, it is on the second Sunday in February. The game will be played in SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. The referee will be Ron Torbert as our referee. The broadcast crew will be, or the broadcast simulcast will be NBC, streaming live on Peacock and in Spanish on Telemonde. The radio side will be covered by Westwood One. If you are happen to uh, out driving around during the Super Bowl, don't know why you would be, but uh, Westwood One will have it on all of the stations. Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth, and Michelle Tafoya will be your crew on NBC. If you're looking to get a last-minute ad into the Super Bowl, well, you better have seven mil on you because it's costing you seven million dollars for a thirty-second ad in this year's Super Bowl. That's pretty much doubled over the last, I think, five years. About five years ago, it was in around that four million dollar mark, and uh, obviously. Um, The price goes up with everything in life. But uh, let's take a look at these two teams here, the Rams and the Bengals, as they've made it to to the Super Bowl here in the 2021-2022 season. For the Rams, it's their fifth Super Bowl appearance. Their last Super Bowl appearance came in 2018 against the uh, New England Patriots, which was a 13-3 loss to Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Um, They've won two Super Bowls. They come into this game with a regular season record. At, uh, at 12 and 5, they are officially the road team in this football game, even though they will be in their home locker room at SoFi Stadium on Sunday uh, throughout the game. They'll be wearing their alternate white jerseys uh, with the yellow pants, so it'll be a little bit of old school uh, Rams, almost St. Louis, uh, Louis Rams type of look that we're going to see here uh, for Super Bowl Sunday. For the Bengals, The Bengals uh, looking to get their first Super Bowl win. This is their first appearance, um, or sorry, their third appearance in this big game. Their last appearance was 1988, which Old Boy alluded to a couple weeks ago on the pod. And uh, in 1981 as well, they made a Super Bowl appearance. They come into this game with a 10-7 regular season record. They'll be, since they were the home team, they'll have... uh, the choice of what they want to uh, wear, and they've gone ahead and chose the black and white uh, combination. So the black jerseys with the uh, the white pants as their choice, and the Rams will get to call the coin toss as the uh, as the road team. Spread opened up at four points. It, I believe it's now going for about four and a half. Over under is forty eight and a half. The halftime show. If you don't know now, you know. No, it's not Notorious B.I.G. It will be Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, and Mary J. Blige, something I am really looking forward to um, is the halftime show. Tons of prop bets are out there on um, you know, what's gonna, who's going to open up 
um, the halftime show, what song's going to open up the halftime show, whether it be Still Dre, Ain't Nothing But a G Thing, What's My Name, tons of different options available there. And the anthem singer will be Mickey Guyton as our anthem singer. So that kind of breaks down uh, the start of this game and what this game's all about. But uh, to me, this is the year of fours, and I'm going to give you a few things that are four-centric around this Super Bowl. Uh, for the first time ever, two four-seeds will go head-to-head, um, and only four, I believe, four four-seeds have ever won the Super Bowl. The Raiders, Broncos, uh, and the uh, Ravens, and the Giants. We're all of four seeds that have gone ahead and won the Super Bowl. This is the highest combination seeding that we've ever seen since uh, since 1978. It's two four seeds going head to head, so the combined seeding is eight. That's the highest number total that we've seen since uh, pretty much since seedings come in in 1975. That happened in 1978. Okay, Andrew Whitworth at 40 years old will be the fourth non punter or kicker to play in a Super Bowl. We had George Bland at 40 play. We had Tom Brady at 40, 41, and 43 play. And we had Jerry Rice at 40 play in the Super Bowl. Are you getting the uh, getting the drift here? Okay. This is the fourth team. There, Sorry, this will be the fifth, but there's been four team matchups where it is animal-centric team matchups. We had the Broncos and the Falcons. We also had in Super Bowl 46 the Colts and the Chicago Bears. Super Bowl 48, we had the Broncos and the Seahawks. Super Bowl 50, we had the Broncos and the Panthers. And now in Super Bowl 56, we've got the Rams and the Bengals. So this will be the fifth option, but there's been four before this uh, this time. The spread, like I mentioned before, is down to four. Both of these teams came into this or both of these quarterbacks came into this uh, postseason with zero postseason wins. They will be looking to get their fourth in this game. So uh, pretty wild there in terms of uh, that. Couple other fun stats. Uh, this is the first Super Bowl without either Tom Brady, um, Peyton Manning, or Patrick Mahomes since 2013, and that was the the, uh, the lights off game with Joe Flacco and Collar Kaepernick, uh, I believe, at C- the Caesars Dome in New Orleans there um, when it was the Baltimore Ravens and the San Francisco 49ers that played. Uh, both of these teams tied with number of points scored, and that was 460 points each team had um, scored throughout the course of the regular season. They both scored the exact same number. Uh, last year, we come off of the highest coaching age total in NFL history with uh, Bruce Arians and Andy Reid. Bruce Bruce Arians coming in at age 68, Andy Reid coming in at age 62 for a combined 130 years old. This year we go to the youngest combination with Zach Taylor coming in at age 38 and Sean McVay coming in at age 36 with a total of 74 years of age and uh, that is the youngest total that we've seen in NFL history. If you're looking for the coin toss, we always know that that is a prop bet that is available in any Super Bowl. But um, specifically, if you're looking for heads or tails, in the 55 prior Super Bowls, there's been 26 times that that coin's flipped up to heads and 29 times that that uh, coin has flipped up to tails. So a little slight edge 
in terms of the tails uh, for the um, for the Super Bowl and how it plays out. Some of the fun prop bets that are available, if you're looking at it, um, there's a whole boatload of them. Will a player do an icky shuffle? Minus 140 for yes, plus uh, even money for no. Uh, will Joe Burrow be compared to Macaulay Culkin? Plus 700 for yes, minus 2,000 for no. So heavy on the no there. Um, how many times will it be said during the broadcast game? Um Will they mention Sean McVay or Zach Taylor? Uh, or sorry, what will be said first during the broadcast game? Sean McVay or Zach Taylor? Um, another good one. What will be said first during the game as well? Will it be COVID or Omicron in terms of uh, the virus? Um, what will be said? Who will be mentioned first in the telecast? Will it be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers? Minus 300 for Brady, plus 200 for uh for Aaron Rodgers another good one there is um Patrick Mahomes or um Joe Burrow mentioned in there okay how many times will home field advantage be said uh over one and a, over under one and a half plus 150 on the uh, the over minus 200 on uh, on the under will uh Michaels or Collinsworth mention the point spread in this game plus 250 on the yes Minus 400 on the no. What will be said first during the game? Beverly Hills is 1-1. to Rodeo Drive, 6-5 to on your money. Or 90210 is 4-1 on your money as well. Another one, uh, what will be said first? LSU or Ohio State? Minus 180 or plus 140 uh, on Ohio State. So the Ohio State University coming in uh, almost one and a half times your money there. Also mentioned first, Detroit Lions or Jared Goff. That's a good one. That's one of my uh, my favorite ones for sure. Who will be showing first? Kelly Hall, Stafford's wife, or uh, Veronica uh, Crowman, McVay's fiance. Minus two twenty five for Stafford's wife, Kelly Hall, or um, plus one sixty for McVay's fiance. That's an interesting one there. Who will be showing first during the game? Magic Magic Johnson, two to one your money. LeBron James five to uh, two and a half to times your money two and a half to one, Kevin Hart three to one, Justin Timberlake three to one, Clayton Kershaw, good friend of Matthew Stafford five to one. So as you can see, tons of good prop bets on there. Uh, also shown first, Leonardo DiCaprio seven to five, Matt Damon two and a half to one, Ben Affleck three to one, Jennifer Lopez four to one, Kim Kardashian five to one. So some real fun prop bets out there. There's their, their traditional prop bets, Gatorade, um, Coin Toss, Over Under on the Anthem, and all of the the typical player prop bets on there. I don't need to get into those uh, a whole lot here, as most of you have probably either laid your, your units down or covered them. But uh, there is tons of them out there. You can uh, pretty much bet on whatever you like or whatever you want to. So um, the only... the the last thing that I wanted to cover here before we, we flip it over was um, just how these two teams were built. And I was the first to put my hand up and say I was dead wrong. You know, you know, typically when you think of the Rams, you think of a team that had been put together and, you know, bought and sold, if you will. And you look at the Bucks. you know, I looked at the Bucks as the same way. But, you know, when you start to break it down with, with, these, with these Rams – you look at the free agent signings over the last two off seasons, 
Only 10 players signed, only $36 million spent on those 10 players, which is last in the NFL in terms of number of players and amount of dollars uh, spent. You look at the Bengals over the last two seasons, 32 players brought in, over $270 million spent, I believe 271 total, and that's fourth in the NFL. So really, this Rams team was built via trade. When you look at the Stafford and Von Miller and Jalen Ramsey and uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and Sony Michelle and you know a lot of their big name and their core amount of players were were accumulated via trade or got via trade. So um, you know you could still maybe say that they are bought and sold, but there are a lot of core players that were drafted um, in the later rounds by this this Rams team that have have stuck and um, you know. They they are they're not going to be able to keep this team together. You've seen that the same type of uh, thing with the with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know if Brady's not out the door there. There's a lot of good players that would be exodus just because you wouldn't be able to afford them. Brady retires now. You're going to be able to bring a lot of those guys back that you maybe might not have been able to. So in terms of Stafford sticking around and what happens there, you know this Rams team is not going to be able to stick together. This is their Super Bowl window here in the next couple of years. They knew that going in, and that's why they made that trade for Stafford. So, But I was really surprised to see that the Bengals have really gone out via free agency and, and acquired you know, some big guns in Trey Hendrickson and, and Von Bell and some of these players, especially on the, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, they've tried to accumulate some, some offensive line help via, um, via the uh, free agency as well to, to not much prevail, but um, a little bit better. But... I'll be the first to put my hands up and said that I was wrong in that statement in terms of the Rams being a bought and sold team. Yes, they've used some of their draft um, draft capital to go ahead and make some trades to acquire their core, but overall they've done a decent job uh, drafting in the later later rounds um, to to get some of those vet men or some of those minimum contracts or or value assets to be able to keep this team together and productive and um, competitive at a Super Bowl level. That's enough for me on the Super Bowl side of things. Before I send you off to break, I'll give you my thoughts and my predictions. But folks, let's get right into it. The lineup's going to be back-to-back-to-back here. We're going to kick it off with Aaron Schatz right now. When we get back from Aaron Schatz, we're going to go right back-to-back with uh, with Eric Williams and then with, uh, with Joe Goodberry. So folks, enjoy the breakdown. Enjoy our amazing lineup of guests, your Super Bowl preview show. It's here for you to get you ready to go. And we'll catch you when we see you. All right, Triple G listeners, let's give a warm welcome. Truly excited to have him on. The OG and creator of the DVAO stat and the uh, from Football Outsiders and writing for ESPN still, Mr. Aaron Schatz. Aaron, welcome to the show and thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me on. Well, it's a busy Super Bowl week here and uh, we might as well get right into it. And, and for a bunch of our listeners they might may not be so familiar with some of the advanced statistics and, and metrics that uh, that you and the, and the team have created at, at Football Outsiders. But let's start with the with the DVA, DVOA stat. Aaron, what is that stat? Why is it used? And how do you use it to help analyze teams, games, players, and and all the all the above? Sure. It stands for defense adjusted value over average. What it does is it takes every play and it determines how successful that play was based on the down and distance of the play. 
Then it compares that success to a league average baseline that's adjusted for situation and opponent. And because it's a play-by-play -play metric that breaks things down by individual plays, you can split it up in a lot of different ways. So you can look at DVOA for specific players. You can look at DVOA, not just passing versus rushing, but like from different personnel groups or from uh, with blitzes or not blitzes or you know any information that you have on a play-by-play -play basis, you can break DVOA up that way. But the good news is that it's adjusted for the situation. It's adjusted for the opponent. It's adjusted for the year. So you know that, uh, you know, if you want to compare to historical players, it adjusts for the fact that there's more offense now than there was 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, that's, a, that's amazing. What a, what a great way to, uh, to measure the game and really put, like you said, on a play-by-play -play basis and, and, you know, can really defunct some of the, the myths that are out there for sure. Let, moving over to, uh, to Super Bowl 56 here and, and some of the metrics that you're going to look at and would love to get your breakdown on it. Um, I know you've mentioned in, in comments on via your Twitter and, and on Football Outsiders that both of these teams are, you know, the Rams being fourth and the Bengals being 14th in, the, in passing offense. Do you see this as an all aerial attack? And do you see any of the defenses coming after either of these quarterbacks in terms of blitzing or how they're going to try to go about getting pressure? Yeah, I mean, the Bengals uh, offense, pass offense is sixth in DVOA if okay. you look yep. since their bye week. So they actually have improved a lot passing the ball. So, yeah, I am expecting an aerial attack from both teams in this game, and I'm not expecting a lot of blitzing because both of these quarterbacks have been phenomenal against the blitz this year. Uh, according to ESPN's QBR stat, Matthew Stafford was the best quarterback against blitzes this year, and Joe Burrow was third. Wow. So, they're, so you're really going to try to uh, get pressure with four and and really try to cover some of these great weapons on on the back end for sure. Right, and, and given the quality of the Bengals' offensive line, the Rams certainly I expect to be able to get pressure with just four. Yeah, that that makes sense. How do you how do you see um, on the back end the Rams trying to cover some of these you know this three headed monster and even mixing out of the backfield uh, in terms of the Rams coverage, we, like you said, you know, they're going to try to get pressure with four, but on the back end, what do you see them doing in terms of trying to cover those weapons? I mean, the weakest cover guy for the Rams is a guy that they don't use anymore. Uh, their fourth cornerback named Dante Dayon. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they put Jalen Ramsey on Jamar Chase one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, you know, they have a lot of faith in Ramsey to be able to shut down great receivers. Uh, their other weakness is right in the middle of the field. Um, the Rams ranked 29th in DVOA on passes in the short middle of the field. And Troy Reader, who's their inside linebacker, is pretty weak in coverage. So um, I think that that kind of stuff is a good way for the Bengals to attack the Rams defense. And that means a lot of Tyler Boyd coming out of the slot. For the Bengals, I think Tyler Boyd is sort of goes ignored with all of the um, all of the pomp and circumstance around Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. That makes makes total sense and could be an area you're right the, that, that that they could pick on for sure. This Bengals defense, um, I know you you put something up yesterday about how this Bengals defense has really seen an uptick over the last you know two three weeks specifically. But is this Bengals defense are they? 
you know, not what they we think they are in terms of what we've seen over the last three weeks? Or, you know, what do we do you think is going to happen in this Super Bowl games in terms of do you see them coming back down and see, maybe seeing a little bit of regression? Or is this a yeah. defense that can stay hot and, and close this thing out? I mean, can they? They can. Is it likely? I don't think so. I think it's really just two games. It's two good defensive games in the last two weeks because they really weren't great defensively against the Raiders in the first mm-hmm. playoff game. And what do you learn more from? 18 games that came before or the last two? I mean, you learn more from the 18 games that came before. So the fact is the Bengals have a mediocre defense. It ranked something like 20th in DVOA during the regular season. And so even though they've played better during the playoffs, you know, there's clear weaknesses. Their pass rush is not as good as people seem to think it is. It, 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 um, in ESPN's pass rush win rate, the Bengals were 25th. Uh, Eli Apple is definitely a weakness in coverage. Their linebackers are not good in coverage either. Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt, they're not a good tackling defense. Uh, they break. They have a lot of missed tackles, so there's a lot of weaknesses for the Bengals defense. Yeah, and it, it, you know, it sometimes gets covered up a little bit by that pass rush. Um, in terms of the the um, Bengals front four, you mentioned that, you know the Rams getting home with pressure, and there's been a lot of coverage on Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd, and and these big high octane pass rushers, Von Miller as well. How can the Bengals go about? Um, blocking this Rams front if they can even or do you think they'll probably try to go with as you've mentioned on on some of your articles as well and your preview article on footballoutsiders.com is do you see the use of that empty set really coming into play for the Bengals yep empty set and quick game quick 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 game get the ball out before the pressure can get there because there is no way this offensive line is holding up against the Rams no way and what about in terms of the Rams' offensive line against that Bengals' D? Um, do you see the Rams maybe trying to lean on the run game more, or are they going to use that empty set as well in the quick game as well? They go empty even more than the Bengals do, but not for the quick game. They like to take deep shots from their empty backfield sets. Um, I think that the Rams' offensive line is much better than the Bengals' offensive line, and they should handle the Bengals' pass rush pretty well. I mean, I know, look, I know Troy Hendrickson is a nice player and um, Sam Harbert is a nice player and they do some nice things with stunts and twists. But again, during the regular season, the Bengals were not a good pass rush. And what do you learn more from the last two games or the entire regular season? You learn more from the entire regular season. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. You're, you're taking the long game into account for sure. Aaron, um, last one here before we before we let you go. What else is coming from you in terms of uh, what you got going on for Super Bowl week here ahead? Um, in terms of your pre your Super Bowl preview, I know you've got an article coming up, and uh, give us a prediction here. Yeah, I mean, I did a sort of a quick pre preview on Monday with just a few little tidbits, but the big giganto preview comes on Thursday afternoon. We also have you know, our usual content right now, we have our keep chopping wood team, which is our team of players that did the most to hurt their teams this year. Uh, We'll have film room studies. We'll have offensive line studies. Um, We'll have a lot of content. So folks should definitely check out footballoutsiders.com. We've got our own podcast slash live stream 
That's uh, Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So if you check out our site in the upper right-hand corner, you'll be able to watch us preview the Super Bowl there. Beautiful. And what do you uh, – sounds like you're leaning more towards the Rams uh, for a prediction there. Absolutely. Rams. Uh, I like the Rams. Definitely. I think the line is pretty close, but, you know, so subjectively with my heart, I think the Rams are just going to be a little better. And um, for ESPN, my prediction was 31-20 Rams. That's what I'm going to go with. I like it. I like it. Well, Aaron, thanks again so much for coming on. We appreciate it. And uh, for all our listeners out there, make sure you're you're following along. Um, where can we find you on Twitter? And uh, make sure you're hitting up footballoutsiders.com for all Aaron's work and ESPN.com as well. But where can we find you on Twitter, Aaron? Right. Footballoutsiders.com on Twitter, at FBOutsiders, or my personal account is at F-O underscore A-S-C-H-A-T-Z. That's F-O underscore A shots. Beautiful. Well, thanks again, Aaron. Enjoy the Super Bowl, and uh, we'll catch up in the offseason. All right. Thanks for having me on the show. Amazing breakdown there from Aaron. Um, Some great advanced metrics to look at from footballoutsiders.com. If you have the opportunity, get on there. Um, get subscribe, get yourself some of those statistics and advanced metrics. I know they helped me out in looking at the Super Bowl and some of my thoughts that I had um, leading up to this game and where I seen um, the weaknesses on both sides of the balls for both teams and uh, what they can attack. And it it can help you out on a week-to-week basis in terms of uh, the team that your team is playing and how they're going to go about attacking those teams. Uh, instead of listening to sometimes false um, national narratives, i.e. Um, the Rams and, and their run game and the Bengals in their run game and, and a lot of things that are just those generic football terms that sometimes are proven wrong by some of these, uh, these advanced metrics for sure. But folks, let's get over to our next two interviews. We're going to go back-to-back with them. Let's get over to Fox Sports. Uh, .com NFL writer and Los Angeles football expert Eric Williams. And once we're done with that one, we're going to kick it over to diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan uh, Joe Goodberry to kick us off before we head off the break. Enjoy, folks. All right, Triple G listeners, let's welcome to the show NFL writer for FoxSports.com. Covered the Rams last year. He's a little bit of a Los Angeles football expert and an NFL expert, and we're going to get his take on the Super Bowl. Let's welcome in Eric Williams. Eric, welcome to the show. Sure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. No problem at all. I know it's a busy week, so we do, we do appreciate your time. Um, Eric, you, we, we talked off air a little bit that uh, you'll be heading up to the Super Bowl tomorrow. Um, what's the mood like? I know you're in San Diego, but what's the mood like around the Rams team and in Southern California for even just hosting the Super Bowl before we knew that the Rams were even going to get into this? Was uh, were they were they pumped up about it and excited about it, or was it something that was just you know on the LA radar and just another check off the box for you know those big LA events that happen? <laughs> well, as you probably know, LA likes big shiny things and, and, and big <laughs> events, and Hollywood and all that. And so yeah, I think there was some buzz you know before they realized the Rams were going to play in the game. And I think that's just kind of been pumped up a couple more notches with the Rams actually playing the Super Bowl in their home stadium and so by, um, you know, obviously the return of football to Los Angeles hasn't went off maybe as, as well as the league had, had would have liked, um, you know, the Rams got off to a tough start, you know, started four and 12 had to bring in a new coach. But I think once 
you know, McVay kind of took over and the Rams started playing well, obviously reached the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. I think there's been more interest. Um, I think obviously that interest has kind of crescendoed a little bit with the Rams reaching the Super Bowl again this year and playing at home. Um, you know, and obviously with with Herbert, uh, with the Chargers and, and, and Chargers playing better, uh, they've kind of made some inroads as well. Uh, but, you know, this is Los Angeles. It's about winning championships. You know, when you look at what the Dodgers and, and what the Lakers have done, that's kind of the gold standard of what the Rams are trying to accomplish. So not only winning this year, but kind of going back and winning multiple years, I think it's, it's what it's going to take for them to kind of reach, you know, what the, the Dodgers and, and the Lakers have done in the market. But certainly there's a lot of excitement. Um, you know, COVID has kind of affected that a little bit in terms of, you know, being able to get around the team and doing different events, uh, you know, in town. But um, uh, definitely I think there's a little bit of buzz happening right now. Yeah, that's that kind of segue right into my my next question in terms of you know how important this is to to go ahead and win this Super Bowl Super Bowl Fifty Six here for the Rams in developing their fan base. Do you mm-hmm. feel you know something like an event like that or a win like that would would really catapult this for the next you know five to seven to ten years for the Rams to really develop that fan base because we've seen that stadium. You know, we've seen it being taken over by the likes sure. of teams like Pittsburgh and San Francisco and those mm-hmm. those upper echelon franchises in the NFL. We've seen SoFi been taken over by those fan bases. So do you feel this is a, you know, a really go home event for the Rams in terms of taking this home and, and catapulting their fan base? Yeah, I wrote about that last week, talked to Kevin Demoff, uh, the Rams CEO, and he talked about be, it being generational, you know, about developing mm-hmm. those fans that are eight, nine, ten years old that are maybe out buying Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald jerseys, and and continuing to kind of build that over the next decade. So it's not only this Super Bowl, which I think is important for them to, to win it and to try to get fans' interest, but it's kind of maintaining that interest over a long period of time. You know, I'm from the Seattle area, so, um, you know, obviously we lost to Sonics to Oklahoma City, but we we got the Seattle Kraken, or Kraken <laughs> back, uh, NHL team. And so people yep. have immediately adopted that as their NHL team because of where we live. You know, they call Kiri now the, the, the crack house, you know, for the, the Kraken. I think it's a little different in a market like Los Angeles because it's so big and there's so many transient fans that had adopted other teams during the 20-year absence of the NFL. And so really it's going to take another seven, eight, 10 years to, to develop new fans over time. And it's going to take not only winning this year, but I think winning multiple years to, to continue to endear those fans to become Rams fans and to, to change fans that maybe have become, you know, Dallas Cowboy fans or, or Pittsburgh Steelers fans or Green Bay Packers fans during that 20 years uh, and try to get them over to the Rams. And then you also have to consider, you know, people that are just, you know, from those different areas of the country that have moved to Los Angeles uh, because of work or other things. Yep. Uh, and they're going to continue to be those fans. Those people are going to show up when their teams play at SoFi Stadium. Uh, so that's just going to be something that they're going to always have to to deal with in the market. So I think you're always going to see the potential for fans coming in and taking over games, whether it's Niners or Steelers or, or Cowboys or, or any other teams that come in and have a significant segment of fans that grew up in that, in those towns and still live in Los Angeles. Yeah, you're right. And it's such a Los Angeles being such a destined destination market. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right that they're, they're always going to have that struggle for sure. Before we, we dive into the game, Eric, I wanted to talk about 
you know, the one player that was kind of brought in here to, to Los Angeles to really push this, or I shouldn't say the one, I should say the first of a few mm-hmm. that were brought in to push this Rams team over the top. And that's Matthew Stafford. He's kind of, to me, had a little bit of a roller coaster ride this year from, mm-hmm. from the pick sixes to everything that's, uh, that's gone on with, with his season. Just talk about, you know, how important this is for him and, and, you know, that roller coaster ride and what the feeling was around Matthew Stafford in terms of, you know, was he going to be the one to push us over the top to now he's made it to the Super Bowl to can he actually go ahead and win this thing and secure his legacy? I definitely feel like there was skepticism when they first made the move, um, particularly because Goff had been on this team when they reached the Super Bowl. You know, mm-hmm. he had done it before. And so when you bring in a guy like Stafford that hasn't won a playoff game, hasn't had a lot of success in terms of the team, um, you know, the Detroit Lions obviously had, had a lot of success in terms of the, the numbers he's been able to put up. Um, there was reasonable skepticism if Stafford could be the guy that um, could lead them to a Super Bowl. Now, I think the one thing that when you talk to McVay and other people within the organization is they felt like it was a significant upgrade at the quarterback position because of the, the arm talent of Stafford. And I agree with that. I mean, you, you watch Stafford play. I mean, you can see the physical tools that he has. Yeah. Um, he's been in the league a long time. He's 33 years old. I think he's probably a better decision maker because of all the football that he's played compared to Goff. Um, and the one thing that McVay talked about was getting Stafford to, to know when to say uncle, not being reckless with the football um, which we've seen at times during the regular season with the, with the turnovers. Um, but the one thing that I think we saw the difference really Stafford from Goff is his ability to make plays in crunch times of the game. He has the ability to close out games and, and they've needed that, you know, they needed that against the bucks. Um, obviously they needed that against the Niners, his ability to kind of make plays when, you know, plays needed to be made at the end of the game. And that's really been the difference. And so, you know, again, he has them at the point where they're in the Super Bowl, but he needs to seal the deal. You know, he needs to go out there and and win it for this move to 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 I guess be legitimate to be to be good enough for for this team to to win a Super Bowl, and I think for his legacy too. You know, to to do it if he wants to to have a chance to wear that gold jacket once his career is over. Yeah, and you know what, I kind of relate him to to somebody that's close to, to both of us actually in that you know with a guy that was had been playing it for the Los Angeles Clippers and came off of a championship with the Toronto Raptors and that's kind of Kawhi Leonard that mm-hmm. almost that hired gun if you will mm-hmm. to come in and really push push this over over the top and and go ahead and win that championship and when you make a move like that uh, whether it be Masai Ujiri or uh, or with the Los Angeles Rams it, you you know it, it's it's championship or bust almost right so Oh, no doubt. I mean, that that's kind of why you make a move like that. It's it's not to to win the NFC championship game. It's that's right. It's to win the Super Bowl. And along with that, like you said, it was the first of several moves. You know, they get Von Miller uh midway to kind of help the pass rush. They sign Odell Beckham uh because they lose Robert Woods. You know, right. they brought in Jalen Ramsey earlier. Um, they signed Sony Michelle, you know, because they had an issue at running back because Cam Akers got hurt. They bring in Eric Weddle. <laughs> You know, had a retirement. Eric's been, you know, hasn't played in two years, but they have issues in terms of depth at safety, and they bring in Eric Weddle, and and Eric makes plays as well. So there's been a lot of moves that just, you know, you know, you can use all the cliches you want, you know, puts the chips all in, whatever. But I mean, they're they're doing all this 
to take advantage of this opportunity, this unique opportunity to win a Super Bowl. And if you're a Rams fan, you have to admire that. You know, that's kind of what you want your team to do. Not all teams do that. Yeah, you're right. And and you're all of those guys have had to make plays. You look at like, you know, an Eric Weddle, you know, shooting the gap uh, last week and, and being mm-hmm. able to, to stop that second down run, push it to a third and almost change the game with a key tackle for loss in that game. And two weeks ago, he's sitting on a couch, right? So it's <laughs> or two, three weeks ago, he's sitting yeah. on, on the couch and, you know, coming out of retirement. And I know you've written about that great article as well. So uh, for all our listeners out there, make sure you check out that as well from Eric. You mentioned in, in the, earlier in the answer, uh, Eric, you mentioned Sean McVay, and I wanted to get to him in terms of his importance in this game. Do you feel um, he could be maybe a weakness for the Rams or maybe a portion of the reason why they don't go ahead and win this game in terms of his, his game management? And we've seen in some of these big, big matchups, Super Bowls and NFC championships, his, his tendency to be loose with the timeouts and, and maybe not have that killer instincts in terms of the game management, game management situations, you know, going forward on fourth down and all those things that are, Mm -hmm. that are involved with that. Or do you feel, you know, he's going to rise to the occasion and and really uh, go ahead and win that first Super Bowl for him? No, that's a great point. I mean, I, I I mentioned that on Twitter, the, you know, the fourth down decision-making I, you know, used to cover the Seahawks and I related it to Pete Carroll kind of going hormonal, and, and letting his emotional drive, drive the decision instead of kind of being, um, you know, a little more rational in his decision-making. You know, I also mentioned the fact that, you know, McVay was celebrating the end zone at one point in yep. one of the games. I was like, where's the get-back coach? Why is he in the end zone celebrating? <laughs> um, but, you know, players like that. Players want their coaches to kind of ride that emotional roller coaster with them at times. But you also have to be able to, like you said, in the moment, and when you have to make decisions very quickly, uh, be rational with those decision makings and understand kind of the win probability part of it. And is that decision actually giving your your team the best chance to win the game? So I think that's a great point. But I would also say this, you know, he's been there before. I think that helps a lot. Yes. If you've been to a Super Bowl before in terms of planning and the lead up to it, how to handle players. And, you know, a lot of people have kind of compared McVay to Phil Jackson and his ability to manage huge egos. And I do think there's a little bit of, of that in place when you bring in guys like Odell and Von Miller, you know, pro bowlers that have um, at times been a little bit prickly for other coaches to handle. McVay seems to do a good job of kind of giving them enough space to, to be themselves, but still hold them accountable and get the most out of them in terms of production. And I think he's done a masterful job this year being able to to handle a lot of different types of egos. Jalen Ramsey is a tough player to, to deal with as well and get the most out of them. And so um, you're right. We're going to see, you know, in this big game situation, how he manages all that in the, the tight constraints of a Super Bowl. Yeah, you're right. You know, you go back to that Atlanta, that Atlanta Super Bowl uh, where they, where they played the New England Patriots and you heard all the, you know, out, out late in Buckhead in Atlanta, the, the mm-hmm. night, you know, the nights leading up to the Super Bowl and all those things. So I think you're right. That experience will come in very, very handy for McVeigh in, in the lead up in preparation to this Super Bowl. Now on to the game, Eric. Um, what are a couple key matchups that you're going to be looking for in terms of the Rams go ahead and, and winning this game? Because on paper, you look at it and 
And when you look at it, football in its simplest and purest form, you look at those offensive and defensive lines. And to me, the yeah. Rams are the clear-cut favorite on both of those sides. So is it the ability to dominate the offensive line? Or is this going to come down to, you know, the skill position players and the Rams just having, you know, those key those key matchups, i.e. Ramsey and Cup and Odell and having those key matchups and having better players in those spots? No, you're right. I think if you talk to any NFL player, it's all about O-line, D-line, and quarterback. Those kind of let you know who has the most control of, of a game. And so for me, when you look at Cincinnati's offensive line, are they going to be able to protect Burrow so that Burrow can make plays to his playmakers? And they have three of the best in the game, and, and Jamar Chase and, and Boyd and, and T. Higgins. Uh, if he gets time, I think Burrow can make plays against – LA's secondary. I just don't know if he's going to have time. I mean, the Titans were able to sack him nine times, and now you're dealing with Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd and, and Von Miller. So I think that's going to be a key matchup. And then I think on the other side of the ball, I don't think this is being talked about a lot, but I do feel like, unlike the Chiefs, I think the Rams will try to run the football against Cincinnati's defense. I totally front. agree. And, I and, totally they, agree. Yep. and they have a lot of issues up front, you know, in terms of depth. A lot of guys that have been injured, they actually signed two guys off the practice squad in Damian Square and, and Zach Kerr from the Arizona Cardinals practice squad to kind of fill voids there. And Cam Akers, if you watched him at the end of last season, I thought he was one of the best backs in the league uh, with way, the physical way he was able to run and also given his team explosive runs uh, on the perimeter. And I, he's back to kind of playing like that. He did have two fumbles, so you're concerned about that. But if they're able to run the ball with Akers – and Sonny Michelle and Stafford just kind of adds to that, and he doesn't have to make plays all over the field. I think they could almost be a little ball control in terms of how they handle it and keep the ball away from Burroughs. Um, so for me, that's kind of the key, I think. Again, I don't think people are talking about a lot, is the Rams' ability to run the football, control clock, score touchdowns, and really make uh, the, the Bengals kind of play from behind early in the game. Yeah, and, and and you know what, Eric, too, is, is to add even add to that point. Secondly, is even if they don't, you know, they they control that clock, and even if they're not up big, or even if they're around the game, you know, within a field goal or six points, mm -hmm. you start to wear the likes of Hendrickson and and Hubbard down a little bit. Yeah, and and you are down, let's say, you know, seventeen, thirteen, or twenty seventeen, going into that fourth quarter, and mm -hmm. you're still around the game you're affecting their pass rush. You know, how, how effective is that pass rush going to be on Stafford when, you know, the fourth quarter comes and, you know, they're tired out from, from pound, getting the pounding from Sony Michelle and Cam Akers, like you said, and, you know, it limits that pass rush. And maybe we see some late big plays from the passing game, even if they're not up early uh, by being able to run that football um, in the first half and through the third quarter. No doubt. And, and like I said earlier, we know what Stafford can do in those situations. We know what Cooper Cup can do in those situations. You know, those guys are usually on the same page and communicate really well in, in critical moments of the game. So, yeah, yeah. Even if they have to play from behind and those guys are pretty gassed up front, that, that could be an advantage for L.A. Yeah, that's right. And we've seen the, the snap counts for, for, like you said, the Bengals not being able to go into the depth very much in that AFC championship game. Those guys getting 80, 90% of the snaps um, was also important. Eric, we're going to let you go here, but one more question. Give me one X factor on each side of the ball, offensively and defensively for the Rams to go ahead and win this game. 
Uh, I'll go ahead and go Odell just because I think he's been pretty impressive with how he's played since he's joined the team. He's probably going to have a favorable matchup because you have to take away Cooper Cup. So I think that could be an X factor offensively. And then defensively, I'll I'll go ahead and go with Eric Weddle because Weddle has played much better than I expected, you know, coming off of his couch. Um, He's obviously cerebral. He's played a lot of football. I think he helps them get lined up defensively because of his ability uh, to see things pre-snap. And then what he really does is he frees up Jalen Ramsey to just go out and play. He doesn't have to worry about getting guys lined up defensively because Eric is doing all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and Eric's pretty effective in the run game. As, as we saw, he had nine tackles, which led the team against the Niners, was able to kind of come up and take away those backside cuts against Debo and, and that effective running game for the Niners. So I think Weddle could be an X factor for um, the Rams defensively. Awesome. Eric, let our listeners know where we can uh, we can find all your good stuff and where we can find you on Twitter and all the social media feeds. Yeah, I'll be writing throughout the, the week for Fox Sports, so you can find those articles on foxsports.com. I'll be doing something on Andrew Whitworth, you know, the oldest offensive lineman playing in Super Bowl, and I'll have some of the things up as well during the week. And then you can also find me on Twitter at Eric underscore D underscore Williams. Awesome. Eric, let's keep in touch. I know you're going up to uh, for Super Bowl week tomorrow, so have a great time. Enjoy the game, and uh, we'll keep in touch throughout the offseason. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. All right, Bengals listeners and Triple G listeners, let's give a warm welcome to Joe Goodbury, diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan, helping us out in a pinch here. I know we were supposed to have Mike uh, Petraglia on, but uh, Joe's filled in admirably here in the last-minute pinch. Joe, welcome to the show. How pumped are you to have your Bengals in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 56 here in L.A.? Let us know. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Obviously, it's uh, it's a big moment, big time. You know, it's what you watch these games for. You hope your team can get there. The it's kind of funny because the one half of my brain is the fan, the other half is the analytic analytical part that really like wants to dissect things and look at it and say, well, you know, it, they're the underdog. They're probably not supposed to win. They probably weren't supposed to be here anyway. I mean, right? They, they kind of were being counted out the the whole path through this season, and then the future is pretty bright for them. So I, I keep thinking of that. But then the fan side is like, yeah, but, you know, it'd be awesome if they won this year. Yeah, it would be. It would be something special, wouldn't it? It would be. It'd be something that doesn't happen too often, I think. That's for sure. That's for sure. What do you get, Joe? As I, I know you're not around the team on a, on a day-to-day basis, but what do you get from the sense? And I know you're you're still connect, quite connected. So what's the feel around this team? You know, how do you feel they're going into this? this road trip to to LA and as they get prepared here over the last few days and with so much going on around the Super Bowl, do you feel this team's loose and just feels like they're playing with house money or do you think they're, you know, playing it as like as a business type trip and they've got one more game here to win? Yeah. It's kind of funny because they've had a lot of pressure moments and a lot of moments even throughout the year where they either had to come back in a game and, you know, had to really, check themselves like is this going to be a game you're going to get it together and win and they did a bunch and did that a few times twice against the Chiefs and once in the week 17 once in the postseason and and to get in you know to win the division probably when you're not supposed to probably no pressure on you throughout the regular season for the most part but that first playoff game versus the Raiders I kind of felt like they were very loose like no pressure at all like let's just go out there and see what we can do they expected to win they felt like they were the better team 
not the pressure you felt with previous incarnations of this Bengals team, you know, the 2011 to 2015 Andy Dalton-led teams where they quickly be, were under or overachievers to quickly became underachievers, and the pressure really mounted on them as they lost five straight playoff games. And then I think the, the, the attitude maybe changed a little bit with the Titans game where they were, okay, we're the underdog, but we've got a decent chance, a coin flip type game. And it, it's kind of funny to see Joe Burrow's attitude from the first game where he's, you know, we expect to be here. This is going to be the normal. Uh, we're going to win playoff games. To the second game, his face was like, wow, I can't believe we pulled that out. And, you know, he's kissing the kicker after that 52-yard kick to, at the gun to win the game. And you could see like a relief on his face like, man, I – you know, I they believe they could do it, but then when you actually do it, it's like, wow, we can actually do it. And then the Chiefs, they weren't really scared of the Chiefs. It was it's funny, it's probably because of that week 17 game, right? And then you go into that game and you get down early, and they really didn't flinch. They made the adjustments necessary, came back in that game, and I'm sure they were shocked they could pull it off, but they kind of pulled off games like that all year. The first game game against the Chiefs was almost exactly like that. So how shocked can you actually be? It seems like this team is going with the same approach that they have where, yeah, we may be the underdog, but they feel like they can win. They feel like they probably should win if they play a good game. If they do what they're supposed to do, play mistake-free football and get a couple turnovers, it's probably going to put them in position to win. And that's basically how they've played in most of their big games this year, especially down the stretch. So I think they're probably going in pretty loose and confident, but at the same time, I don't think the pressure can be discounted of the Super Bowl and the opportunity. I mean, I think everyone succumbs to it at some point. That's why you see some of these games start off pretty slow before these teams really get in gear. Yeah, you're, you're totally right there. Joe, what do you feel the game plan is going to be heading into this? We've heard so much about this this Rams' vaunted defensive line with Donald and Miller and, and Leonard Floyd. And we know the, the neutral down run rate in terms of the, the Bengals. And, you know, I was one five, six, seven, eight weeks ago that was pounding the table for, for yeah. Zach Taylor to, to release the reins a little bit in terms of letting Joe Burrow, you know, go aerial and, and start to throw the ball a little bit more. But as you start to see more and more of this offensive line, you can kind of see why they've, they've relied so heavily throughout the course of an eight, a 17 game season and playoffs on Joe Mixon. But what do you feel the game plan is going to be here? You know, we talked with Aaron Schatz earlier, and he thinks, you know, the middle of the field is is available and, and that the Bengals have had some success with, you know, some empty sets. Do you think for, for this one last game that, you know, they are going to go aerial and really try to put the ball in Joe Burrow's hands? Or do you think they're going to stay true to who they are and continue to run the ball on, on first down with Joe Mixon and, and try to stay in manageable down and distance? Yeah, I, you know, it's kind of funny because they've – done all of that this year right there's been games where they're like you know we're just gonna run it down the Raiders throats in the first game and they did and I think Burrow had like 150 yards in that game they just never had to really put it in the air at all because they had little resistance on the ground and I think they'd like to do that if the game plan allows uh, because you that's how you neutralize the pass rush right that's how you keep Burrow upright that's how you keep him guessing you build your play action passes you get some nice deep shots off it I get it right but I'm of the mind of you put the ball in your best player's hands, you throw it, you put points on the board, and that's how great offenses usually succeed in this league or at least have sustained success. Uh, the Bengals haven't had that game yet, though, in the playoffs. It, it's been you know, four weeks now, if you include that final game against the Browns where Burrow didn't play. So three weeks in a row where they really haven't gone off in the passing game. And I think they want to 
but it's the fear of letting Aaron Donald and company and Von Miller uh, just destroy your offensive game plan. So you try to keep them honest by running the ball, uh, putting play action in there, slip screens, whatever you can do, misdirections to try and slow down that defensive line. If you can do that, yeah, I think they want to air it out. And I think they want to get the ball to chase. They want to get it to Higgins and Boyd, and they want to make their players match up with the Bengals. They feel really good about their three receivers as they should. Uh, So I, I think it's a bit of both because they've been in plenty of games this year where the run game hasn't worked. And then the second half, they say, okay, we got to throw it. And that, I think of like the 49ers game, they're down yep. two scores. And all of a sudden, they got to they got to flip the light switch and get back into it. And they do. They go to overtime. They probably should have won that game. Uh, but, you know, and I remember Zach Taylor after that game saying that was like a light bulb moment of we need to put the ball in Burrow's hands more often and let him control the game from start to finish. Even if we do have some drives that are focused on the run game, you still let Burrow control more of the game. And since then, they really have. And I, and I think that'll continue. Yeah, it's funny. We I was uh, ended up being live at that game, uh, and I remember thinking the same thing. Even coming out of halftime, that first drive out of half, they were still trying to to pound Mixon, even though being down at halftime, um, they were still looking to get Mixon involved. And then finally, because of the way the game script was, they were forced to put it in in Burl's hands, and and look what happened. Like you said, do you see them in turn you mentioned you know getting the ball in in the best players hands i.e chase and these other two receivers boyd and higgins do you think they're gonna have to move him around in terms of you know stacking the receivers and maybe bringing him inside to the slot and in areas that he may not have been used to throughout the course of the year or seen a lot of play at to try to get away from jalen ramsey or do you just think it's more of a scheme thing that you know we can scheme up a way to get him the ball in terms of our regular plays no, I think they will move him around. It's it's funny to look at Chase's um, arc throughout the year. Like he came off hot right away as an outside yep. vertical threat. They're just going to throw it up to him and let him be who he is, right? And that worked for a few weeks until defense said, "Okay, enough of that. We're not going to we're not going to come up and press your guy here and let you just beat us over the top." And we're going to start shading a safety over there. Plus, Higgins was out for a handful of games, so like you could really do that as a defense. And then Chase kind of had a lull in the l- middle of the year, and then. Higgins came back and he started smoking guys on the other side because you're giving them one-on-one coverage with no safety help over there. And Higgins can beat you and can do that. Uh, and once Higgins looked like his, his Clemson self was what he reminded me of. He looked like a young AJ green in a few of those games, uh, but it started to back the safeties off completely. Like they're like, all right, we're just going to play cloud coverage. We're not going to let either of these guys beat us over the top. And I think of the, um, the Ravens game where Burrow throws for five twenty-five, but the, Baltimore didn't want to get beat over the top at all in that game. They played everyone back, and the Bengals said, okay, uh, we know you guys are going to blitz, and you're going to put everyone back on the other plays there when you're in zone. And their counter was, we're going to put Chase in the slot, make him our hot guy. So you're going to send the blitz, that's fine. We're going to go empty, um, Put basically put Chase, Higgins, and Boyd all on the same side, with the other side being Uzama and Mixon. And we're just going to, at that point, be able to pick who they want to throw to right and then so chase is the is the hot guy in a lot of these and they're just dumping off seven eight nine yard throws to him and he's taking them 15 20 yards just looks super fast quick strong after the catch the first guy's not bringing them down and i think after that game you saw it more and more and more even if you think of the uh, chiefs game week 17 that first touchdown the Bengals are down uh 14 nothing it's Chase and Higgins on the left higgins is running straight up the uh, vertical on the left side left boundary and Chase is just running an out route at about 12 yards or so, sits in his zone, 
ball, he catches the ball, just screams upfield 70 yards for a touchdown. That's, that's yep. uh, yeah, again, that's him out of the slot. So I do think they're going to do that. And I, I think they realize there are times when you're like, yeah, we can just put him out there as the X. We know he's going to draw double coverage, and that helps you build your offense out of it. You like you don't have to worry about who's covering the other side or or what the defense is going to do because it kind of they show their hand by putting that safety over there with them. Uh, and there's other times where you're like we need to get the ball to chase, and they will start sliding them inside, putting them in motion. We saw the uh, Raiders game; he's getting pitches out of the backfield on fourth down in the playoffs, and like I think that is great ways to get the ball in space to him, and I think they'll continue to do that. I love it. Flipping over to the other side of the ball now, Joe, on, on the defensive side, how are these Bengals going to go ahead and, and cover these two big receivers? I know, you know, covering Cooper Cup's easier said than done, but right. how are they going to go ahead and try to try to accomplish this? Because, you know, OBJ's heating up here. We've seen what Cooper Cup's done throughout the playoffs. You know, what's the plan of attack on the other side of the ball? You know, the Bengals have been pretty decent at trying to take away the top option all year. They really only got beat for over a hundred plus by Devonte Adams. And, you know, sometimes he just can't cover the best guy out there and he just does his thing. And that was a crazy game going back and forth between uh, Rogers and Adams and Burrow and chase. They did pick off a uh, Chidobia was, did have an interception intended for Adams in that game though. So, you know, you, you'll take that as a, as a small victory, but otherwise they've been very good at, all right, saying, okay, we want to bracket Tyreek Hill. You look at the two Chiefs games. They really didn't want Hill to, to scream over the top and beat them, and they felt very comfortable with the, the concepts concepts the Chiefs were doing. And they also were like, okay, we'll, we'll bring in an extra uh, safety slash corner and Trey Flowers, a big tall guy, and we'll help him cover Travis Kelsey, and we'll also have a safety coming down, Robert coverage, and, and try and uh, – uh, give him some trouble as well and, and keep extra set of eyes on Kelsey. And that worked. And so they've been all right all year at saying, okay, we're not going to let this guy beat us, but you're right. It's hard with cup, man. Everyone says that about cup and he still beats everyone and he still finds ways to get open. And you wonder how he gets open every single time as he's getting so much separation with a, and he doesn't look like the fastest and quickest guy out there, uh, but it works. And so I think they're going to pay a lot of attention to him and try and say, okay, um, if we can get Mike Hilton on him as much as possible in the slot instead of a linebacker, you see a lot of these uh, empty formations from the Rams as well, where they're going to get cup on a linebacker just based on how it works numbers wise. And he'll just run a nice option or choice route and, and you know, scream away from that linebacker easily. Uh, I think they're going to try and do a focused effort on getting Mike Hilton in those positions instead of a safety or linebacker, or even maybe even Eli Apple, instead of him sliding him down, Um, it'll be Hilton. And they'll probably put Jesse Bates or Von Miller, or or, I'm sorry, Von Bell with um, eyes on him and help out inside. And I think that's the best way to go, but really, I don't, I'm not confident that they'll be successful at it. It's really going to be up to, in my opinion, how do you handle Odo Beckham? Like he's, Seems like he's getting back in form, right? Like that last game, I'm like, yeah, he looks pretty good. And the Bucks game also, I'm like, yep, here he is. Okay, where he's he's starting to hit his stride. They're starting to feel pretty comfortable, especially with Stafford look like he's throwing with good anticipation to him. Uh, I, I think it's gonna be Shadobia Wuzier, but the Bengals don't always follow. They will on like some key third downs, and they feel really good about Wuzier. So maybe he'll be the one to follow him. I just think the best receivers in the game can't be covered. So, like, I'm not confident in that. I just think you just – you hope that you come away with a neutral fight in that one and he doesn't beat you over the top. Bengals really don't get beat over the top too much. 
So I think it's going to be like a bend but don't break type thing. Try and keep them out of the red zone, which they've been really good at in this in this playoffs, uh, not allowing those red zone possessions to turn into touchdowns. Yeah, and it's you know what it's a, the more I think about it too, Joe. It's a smart game plan in terms of not only are you, you not getting beat over the top, but you're forcing Stafford to to drop back a little bit more often. So maybe one of your big pass rushers can get home and get a big sack fumble or or forcing them into to negative a negative play. Right. Or or even maybe you get that interception from Stafford or two from Stafford that that he has the propensity to uh, to throw from time to time, and that could also flip the game as well. Yeah, I think that's the key, right? If they can get a clean game out of Burrow, um, which really, like that Titans interception, he was tipped off running back's hands. He's been pretty clean uh, other than that weird interception where it went back-to-back between the the Mahomes and Burrow. Yeah, it was was just odd. He had a couple weird sideline rolling kind of throws. He almost threw another one to the right side. Really clean after a stretch of, you know, I'd say the first 12 games or so this year. It was like – yeah, Burrow's probably going to give you a couple balls. He was really forcing some in there. Uh, he really hasn't lately at all. And if you can play a guy like Tannehill, if you can play a guy, and usually not Mahomes, but Mahomes forced a few passes, and it's weird that they felt like he would if they gave him um, enough weird looks and enough time to force the ball. And I, I think you could do the same thing with Stafford a little bit. Like, yeah, the idea is if if they can lean on their run game and their play action – they're probably going to have their way on offense. The Rams will. But if you can stop that run a little bit, and the way the Rams like to block up front, watch for DJ Reader to get a lot of single blocks and just eat those up. And I think that's what's going to get the Rams in the like third and long situations. And then they can't play action. Then the pass rush can get off a little bit more. And then you're going to get a couple uh, opportunities. And I think Stafford's got that whatever that trait is inside many quarterbacks, where if you let them dink and dunk all game, they'll do it. But then they get a little bit antsy and they want to push it and they want to get a big play. And then the Bengals are kind of like that defense. They're like, we're going to let you dink and dunk all day. We'll come up, make our tackles. You're going to go 10 plays. If you want to, if you want to score on us on this drive, and then they're going to get a play or two where the quarterback's going to try and force the ball downfield because the pressure will start to mount on them, especially if the Bengals offense could put points on the board. Mm -hmm. To the, to the last kind of uh, X factor in terms of, you know, offense, defense, special teams. We, we know what uh, Money McPherson's done in, in the playoffs. It's been a historical playoff run. But, you know, Darren Simmons, special teams coordinator, been with this team for, for 19 years now. And I think since 2013 or 12 as the special teams coordinator. Is there a possibility for a, um, a fake punt or anything like that? Have you seen anything on tape throughout the course of the year or do you think they're possibly due for one? And then secondly, is the fan base, is there any trepidation for Zach Taylor and being too conservative or um, this moment being a little bit too big for him in terms of game management, clock management, uh, timeouts, any of those types of things? You know, I, I do wonder what the trick play will be. It's like it's, you know, when you give these coaches two weeks to prepare, it always seems like we get one in the playoffs. Right, Sometimes yeah. it's like an, an iconic play like the Philly special a few years ago. Um, and maybe it doesn't have to be that. Maybe it's just a small wrinkle. Maybe it's more RPOs, right, on offense. I'd love to see that uh, with Burrow. But on special teams, man, we haven't seen fake punts in a long time, I feel like, for the Bengals. It's been – and Darren Simmons has been there a long time. But I, I feel like 2004. 15 or so was the last time they were running those. Uh, so maybe that'd be cool. I, I, it'd have to be the right situation. No, I think, you know why those die off? 
is because they just rather go for it with their offense and burrow. Like that would be the criticism, right? If you go up, run a fake punt on fourth and five, fourth and four and from the 50, and you just might as well let burrow throw the ball to Jamar Chase. I mean, I think everyone would just say, why wouldn't you just do that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think that's why that stuff dies off. Teams just go for it on fourth down a little more. So I do wonder what the trick will be or, or the little wrinkle will be that each team will probably bust out at some point. Um, other than that, the, with Taylor, you know, I, I even though they've had this very magical season, if you will, uh, a lot of people still don't know who Taylor is, right? We still are like, is he just a guy that gets out of the way and lets Burrow do his thing? Let your, you know, special quarterback be special? Or is he the kind of guy that uh, is really turning the wheels back there and making these guys go? And, you know, I look back at that Chiefs game again, week 17, where the Bengals had six minutes to drive down the field and it's a tie game and they go down and they had plenty of opportunities to settle for a field goal, but they kept trying to punch it in on fourth down. And it was weird at the time, super weird. And, and I remember thinking like, yeah, this makes sense. Don't give Mahomes back the ball with any time left. And they luckily got through with it and kicked a field goal with no time remaining. Uh, after a bunch of fourth down and penalties and a bunch of, you know, odd stuff that happened. And it's funny because, you know, four weeks later, we're watching the Bills lose to the Chiefs with 13 seconds on the clock. Seconds. And you go, yeah, don't, you go, don't that's... tell me about it, Joe. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but the, but you look at that and you go, yeah, that's why Zach Taylor did that. Makes a lot of sense why he was yep. so, uh, you know, concerned with leaving any clock left. And so I think you chalk that up as a win. And maybe, you know, we're not so concerned with his game management. Honestly, he really hasn't been uh, too bad lately. There was like, moments where he wouldn't go for it on fourth first game of the year he went for it on fourth and one from his own 30 up 14 points to the vikings vikings score on the next drive and get back in it and turn it into a game a lot of people gave him criticism for that and i thought it was unfair i was the way the offense was rumbling at the time i'm like go for it do it i feel good about this team at that point and uh i think that put him in a shell for a, for a few weeks and then he eventually got out of it, and he'll do some very aggressive things at some times. And I hope he is that way in the, in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I hope so too. Because I think on the other side of the ball, McVeigh's got that same, you know, yeah. maybe not the same. He's got that, got a lot of criticism from from that 2018 Super Bowl and only putting up three points. I know they had Jared Goff, and he was hurt and all that, but there's there's still a lot of questions to answer on that other side of the ball in terms of you know the big moment and the Super Bowl moment for sure. Last one uh, before we let you go here, Joe. Give us an X factor on the offensive side and the defensive side of the ball, and what's your overall prediction? X factor will be C.J. Uzama. It looks like he's going to play after spraying his yep. MCL in the last game, which is wild to me. Maybe it wasn't that bad. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but it seems like, you know, the other guy on the other side, Higby's not going to go. It really seems that way, and they had very similar injuries, but who knows what's inside there. Point being is, if the middle field's open, I think Uzama comes in big, and, you know, they – if, if he's not out there, that safety gets a little bit more freedom to drive down on Higgins. I was watching the mic'd up of the Chiefs game of the AFC Championship, and they're going, we're going to double one, and you know they're going to 85. I need you screaming down there and, and jumping on this. And it's like, yeah, I, that would be the game plan, right? You know if I'm going to double uh, Jamar Chase, Burrow's going to go right to Higgins, and you need to be quick on those. As soon as he breaks, I need you jumping on that. Uh, and that really happens when you don't have that tight end up the seam or that can really hold the tight end or hold the safety just a little bit longer. So I'm going to go with CJ Ozama. I hope he can play. I hope he can at least play sparingly. And and maybe if even it's just passing situations that, you know, that would help the team out. Um, and you want a score prediction, right? Or do you want to X factor on defense first? X factor on defense. And then, and then your prediction. 
Yeah, so the X factor on defense, and I, I alluded to it, is I think it's DJ Reader. And the reason I think so is because the Rams are going to be who they are, right? They still want to run the ball. It's funny. They, these teams very mirror each other uh, in a lot of ways. Obviously, Zach Taylor coming from, from that system. But um, I think both teams want to build their play action off of same-looking runs. I'm, that's I, right. That's, yep. you, know, you know that's how it works, right? And so the way they block – Nose tackles. I've watched the, the the Bucks game versus Vita Vea, and I'm like, man, they are just singling them up and letting them just dust them in so many of these plays here. Yeah, I hope they do that with Reader because Reader's going to have his way. He had his way with the Titans doing the same exact thing on these outside zone runs. Uh, if that's the X factor and they really stuff the run the way, the way they did against the Titans, then yeah, that's going to be tough for the Rams to do everything they want to do on offense. And I think that could really neutralize the game because the Bengals can't do everything they want because they're worried about the defensive line and the other side eating. So uh, I'm going to go with Reader. Let's see if he can make an impact early, make, make a few run stuffs or at least free up some guys. And then for a score, man, I think it's going to be close. I really do. It's, it's kind of funny that it seems like the prevailing thought is either the Rams run away with it and the Bengals weren't ready or they can't block up front or it's going to be a close game and Evan Fearson comes through again at the end. And I actually kind of think that's how it's going to go. 27, 24 Bengals. Oh, I love it. I love it. Joe, thanks for filling in, uh, in a pinch. Truly appreciate it. Let our listeners know uh, where we can find you. Best places on Twitter. Find me at Joe Goodberry, just the way it sounds. And I'm down to talk any, uh, any sports, mostly football, NFL draft. I mean, when that season comes around, that's really my time to shine. So follow me and I'll spark up a conversation there. Beautiful. Thanks again for coming on, Joe. Uh, enjoy the game, and let's keep in uh, touch throughout the offseason, and maybe we'll uh, catch back up over draft talk. Will do. Thanks for having me. Amazing. All right, folks. Hope you enjoyed some back-to-back interviews by Eric Williams and Joe Goodbury. Thanks to all of our guests for coming on today. Make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. To end it off here, I think what's going to happen on in terms of Cincinnati and this this game in, in Super Bowl 56, Cincinnati's going to have to move Chase around. They're also going to have to continue to be who they are. And as much as we may love it or we don't love it, um, I think you're going to have to rely on Mixon. Maybe not as much as you think, uh, but you are going to need to run the, the football in some neutral um, down situations where you know most people might want to think about pass and being a little bit more aggressive, but you might you need to slow Miller and Donald and Floyd down a little bit. I think if you go empty in the backfield, um, maybe you can have Uzama or Mixon kind of out on the wing, chipping those edge pass rushers in, in Floyd and and uh, Miller, and you can get a little bit of a double team on the inside. Uh, on Aaron Donald or triple team and then a little chip on the outside and then that quick passing game to really keep it going if, if you're not going to really pound heavy on on Mixon. I think that's how they're going to be able to continue to move the ball and move and chase around, get him the ball in your hands and really try to um, you know, not force the ball to him if he is doubled on that outside. Um, if maybe put him on that outside a little bit more uh, until you're ready to get him the ball or you've got a specific play for him to to have double coverage out there. You know, Jalen Ramsey sometimes travel and everybody's really, you know, gung-ho on this this big sexy matchup. And I'm not so sure that we're going to see it as much as we think. And if we're not, you may see the Rams double chase 
with Darius Williams and one of their safeties. Weddle likes to play in the box a lot. Uh, Taylor Rapp's hurt, so um, it'll have to be one of the other Rams safeties there that are on that double team. But you might see Ramsey, you know, travel a little bit more or, or really try to match up with, with Higgins on the outside and, and be able to take him away. And, and maybe they double chase with two others and, and have a little bit of a Bill Belichick uh, game plan in terms of, you know, I'll take away your number two option one-on-one and double your number one option. And next thing now you're thinking you're taking away both options and really forcing Cincinnati to go to Boyd or Uzama over that the middle of the football field or really use Mixon out of the backfield. But um, either way, I think that, you know, they really got to be able to, you know, keep those chains moving for Cincinnati. On the defensive side of the ball for Cincinnati, they've just got to find a way to slow some of these receivers down. And they've got to win on first down, I think, is crucial. If you can win on those running downs against this McVay offense, you really force Stafford into the third and longs. He pats the ball. He can take sacks. He, he He's not going to just dink and dunk and, and just accept punting he's going to be able to he'll force the ball down the football field which could uh could you know get you a ball or two on that side for the rams defensively we know the game plan get after burrow get after burrow and stop to me stop mixing and get after burrow that's going to be the key they they've got to do the same thing um if you can if you can stop and win on those first couple downs i think these like uh, like Joe said, these teams mirror each other. They've come from the same tree, so we're going to see a lot of the same concepts, similar game plans in my mind. So that's what it is on on the Rams side of the ball. Offensively for the Rams, um, they've just got to play clean football. They cannot have the turnovers. If Stafford throws a pick or two, Cincinnati is going to be in this game, if not winning this game. And I think Van Jefferson is really going to be a key in this game. And don't be surprised if he makes a few big, big catches, um, without, especially without Higby being there. Uh, we've seen OBJ, we've seen Cooper Cup, but don't sleep on Van Jefferson, no doubt for sure. Folks, hope you enjoyed your Super Bowl preview. We're going to send you off to break. Enjoy a little segment there. When we get, a, get back, we're going to run through the world of golf real quick, and we'll get you on your way. We'll catch you on the flip side. Life passion for real life sports. All right, folks. Hope you enjoyed a little segment there from Triple G Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. Hope you enjoyed your Super Bowl Fifty Six preview. Now, there's no better Sunday than Super Bowl Sunday because not only is it Super Bowl Sunday, it's the Waste Management Open this week on the PGA Tour. We're coming off of a hot week. But let's start to give a quick little rundown of the world of golf. Listen, not too much to cover on the LPGA Tour other than shout out to Leona Maguire from Ireland, her first LPGA Tour victory. We've seen what she did at the Solheim Cup last year with a dominating 4-0 record, and she's following that up now. Shoots minus 18 down there in Fort Myers at uh, Colonial Country Club. 
and uh, wins the golf tournament by three strokes over over Lexi Thompson. Brooke Henderson continues her hot start on the LPGA Tour here in 2021 and 2022, or sorry, 2022, with uh, you know her third, just outside the top ten. But listen, second T6 and T11 to start the year for Brooke, uh, trending in the right direction. Hopefully she can flip over uh, a couple wins here. But uh, the ladies will be off for three weeks back on uh, in early March. I believe March the 2nd, March the 3rd at the HSBC Champions event. Uh, we will catch the ladies back. And then in the middle of March, they'll uh, flip over to their west version of the West Coast Swing and kick up, uh, ratchet up the intensity for the LPGA Tour season. We'll have uh, Beth Ann Nichols on as well to help us preview some of the LPGA stuff throughout the course of the year. Champions Tour returns next week in Tiburon for the Chubb Classic, so not much going on there. The Saudi International event uh, goes off with a bang. Harold Warner the third with a massive, huge eagle putt on 18 to edge out Bubba Watson. Great event, great field, uh, well done. Phil Mickelson uh, with a... Uh, a little bit of a uh, controversial statement in terms of uh, calling out the PGA Tour uh, on their green. And listen, uh, whether he's going to stay or go, uh, we've heard from Tiger today uh, support the PGA Tour and, and feel that's where his legacy is. And I think that's what a, truly a lot of guys feel. And I think this is just a, a leveraging tactic for a lot of these guys. Listen, if the Saudi internet, if this tour doesn't change the fact that you got to play all 10 or 12 events and there's certain things in their literature in terms of getting the full support for for some of these extraordinary amounts of money that you've seen Ian Poulter and Bryson DeChambeau and and others be been you know supposedly been offered nobody signed anything um I don't like I said I don't I don't think the guys are going to do it I think their legacy is with the PGA Tour and the ability to win majors and and have that um now the champions tour if if some of these amounts of money money monies get offered to some of the champions tour guys or some of the mid-range guys who are about to go on that tour then we've got a story because their legacy has been built and and now you're affecting the the PJ's tour ability to transition these guys over to the champions tour so that's where we could see some hay or, or those mid-range guys like J- Joseph, Jason Sobel had mentioned when we first talked about all this. There is a possibility. But in terms of, of the, the cream of the crop on the PGA Tour, um, it, that, it's got to be a, an extraordinary amount of money to do that. Um, and I still know, I just I just can't see it happening just yet. I think there's got to be a few more changes before they, they pick up some more traction in terms of really getting their first big signing or, or luring somebody over there uh, to be able to make it happen. But either way, real interesting to, to see. But it, it was a great event at the Saudi International. On the B- DP World Tour, Nikolai uh, Hogard sorry, um, shoots minus 24 um, and wins on the DP World Tour. They're continuing to stay where they are there. And uh, they're going to, at the uh, the RAS Championship, or the RAS Classic, last week was the championship. Uh, could have been vice versa there, but they'll stay there at the same golf course for one more week and then head to uh, to the Indian Open there. Some of their events, um, you know, kind of mid-level fields right now until they start to kick up into the uh, the meat and potatoes of their schedule. But on to the Pebble Beach AT&T uh, 
Classic on the PGA Tour last week. Dutch was hot, came in with his picks, had Jordan Spieth in second. Joel Damon just misses out in T6. Um, you know, a late birdie by Patrick Cantley um, knocks Damon out of the top five, or we would, the Dutch would have had two top five spots there. So hot picks by Dutch. But Tom Hoagie's the winner. I was right in the... Uh, the uh, the mitts there with Nick Taylor with a T14 and Jason Day with a tough finish, 74 on the final round. Uh, needed a 68-67 from Jason Day, and we could have really had almost three inside the top 10. But a good week for both of us. Um, really trying to you know parlay that over, if you will, into a big event at the Waste Management Open, and we've got our picks. We'll start with Dutch's first, his big gun of the week at 22 to one. This guy's. Uh, Bound to win again here soon on the PGA Tour. He's due, and that's Xander Shoffley. Almost won it, I believe, last year. So nice little big gun pick for Dutch there, 22-1 to 1, Xander. 25-1, to 1, so I would still classify that as a big gun, but we'll uh, we'll let it slide here, Dutch. His rock steady top 10 of the week, 25-1, uh, to 1, Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler. And his long shot of the week, and this is a long shot. Hey, we talked about Matthew Stafford. He's going with Hudson Swafford um, at 175 to 1. Hudson Swafford as Dutch's long shot of the week. So he's got Hudson Swafford, Scotty Scheffler, Xander Shoffley, the three S's for Dutch going into uh, the Waste Management Open. For me, we'll start from the bottom now. We here, I got a couple long shots for you. And uh, we'll start with my. Uh, my <laughs> He's not going to be the one I'll take, but I'll give you a couple extra picks. My my extra long shot pick, 175 to 1. Listen, he was uh, T17 here last year, T3 in 2020. He's an extra pick for 175 to 1. Throw a unit or two on him, and that's Neat Lashley. Okay. My other extra pick, rock steady pick, came off a good solid finish last week at the AT&T, and that's uh, 50 to 1, Matthew Fitzpatrick. Okay, now on to my three picks. We'll start from the long shot. He is 275 to 1, but I like how he plays in this event. 2019, he was T26. 2020, he was T37. And last year, he was T11. He's trending upwards, and that is JT Poston. 275 to 1. Why not one, two units on it to make yourself 275, 550 bucks on a dollar or two bet there? My rock steady pick of the week. Hasn't shown much form, not only at this this event, he was T11 last year, but he's smooth, he's coming off his best year in golf in my mind, 45-1, to 1. I love the odds here, rock steady pick, Louis Eustazen, and my big gun of the week, how could you not take him, I know he's the second favorite to Rom, but he's still 12-1, to 1. no problem, I'll put a 10 or 20 units on him for sure, listen, two th- third in 2019, third in 2020, 13th in 2021 with a plus one final round so listen he's been inside the top five here the last three years at 12 to 1 i'll take my shot with jt justin thomas so jt louis eustazen jt poston so we got a double jt here with a louis extra picks matthew Fitzpatrick and nate lashley that's our picks for the waste management open folks enjoy the super bowl enjoy the best sunday of the year Hope you enjoyed your Super Bowl preview show. Hope it got you ready to go for it. Make sure you're following us along Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Give us a subscribe. We'll be Instagram Live Saturday, February 12th, 9 p.m., and we'll catch you next week.
Thank you.